0: We have a new pastor of CARES. His name is Daryl Mady. And uh, I had the privilege of having lunch with Daryl and his family, Um, Mary, his wife, his son, Eli, his daughters, Haley and Olivia, and his uh, youngest son, Zach. I am really, really excited uh, that these guys have joined the church. And um, I'm excited to hear Daryl preach and just to get to know him and um, build a friendship with him. And I would uh, say not only do we want to welcome Daryl this morning, but um, afterwards, Daryl's family, where are you? There you are. Stand up. So take a look. (laughs) Welcome, guys. So after the service, find them, say hello, and make them feel as welcome as we know they are. Um, With that, I'm going to turn it over to Daryl.
1: Thanks so much. I'm not sure what to make of all those people leaving right before I came up. <laughs> it's good to be with you uh, this morning as I'm getting to know you, although I've known some of you for a while. Uh, Green Tree is not a completely unfamiliar uh, church to me and to, uh, to my family. I've been serving in the, the presbytery and working with folks like Tom Ricks and Nathan and uh, Tom Werner. Uh, for a number of years, and uh, um, I, and uh, this is in my, in my notes, but I just want to brag on you for a second. When someone was encouraging me to apply to the position, first thing I did was call up Jeremy Biedenbaugh, and I said, uh, I said, Jeremy, okay, people are encouraging me to apply. What's it like working at Green Tree? And he paused what seemed to be a really long time. <laughs> I said, it's just, why is he pausing? And then he said... It's awesome, and it's a great testimony to the people of Green Tree and to the staff, and I'm really glad to be a part. Uh, my family's really glad to be a part as well, and just by the way, today my, my, today is my youngest son's birthday. Uh, he turns nine today, and I want to wish him a happy birthday from, from the pulpit. Now, as Tom uh, talked, Tom Ricks talked to me about uh, what we were preaching on th- this uh, this summer season. He said, we we're, we're in this... You Pick It, uh, We Preach It series, and he showed me a list of the topics that were left, and they, they included things like the sovereignty of God and, and uh, marital relations, how husbands and wives should relate, uh, same-sex attraction, gay marriage, and I, I have to admit I was a little bit intimidated by that list, and then he said, you know, for your first time out, maybe you shouldn't preach on any of these things. <laughs> I think if the people of Green Tree knew you were coming, what they would want to hear is about you, the things you care about, uh, who you are as a pastor. Uh, so, so uh, let's pick that and preach on that. So the sermon this morning uh, reflects me, reflects my interest. You're going to hear things like, sort of my my major interest. You're going to hear about space. You're going to hear about comic books. You're going to hear uh, the only thing you won't really hear about that is an interest of mine is baseball. That'll that will come up on other sermons, no doubt. Um, those are my interests, but. But my passion really is for God and for for God's people, specifically the character to which God calls us as a people. Um, And and the thing is that what God calls us to be, and this is going to sound sort of confusing at first, but God, God calls us to be His people. That's what He wants us to be. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be God's people? That's the subject of this morning's passage as we look at 1 Peter Chapter 2, the first 12 verses of that chapter. And we're going to see it has many implications, but the one undeniable consequence of being God's people, really living it out, is that the world will think of us as strange. With that in mind, let's read 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Peter writes to his followers, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning, even as we've done so already, by your Spirit, Lord, uh, move in us. Work in us, help us to worship in spirit and in truth, even as we hear your word preached this morning. Help us to submit ourselves, uh, not to the words necessarily that I speak, but but to, to the working of your spirit in us as we look at your word. Father, as we think about what it means to be your people, give us the courage to live it out, even if it means that we will be strange. Work that in us this morning, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I mentioned earlier my interest in space and, and, uh, and other things. I, I, I'm a science fiction fan as well, and as my wife would say, yes, it's true, I am a nerd. Uh, one, one of my favorite books, maybe not right at the top of my list, but, 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 a, but a really good science fiction book is, a, is a, a, a work by Heinlein called Stranger in a Strange Land. I don't know how many of you had to read that when you are in high school. How many people have read that book? How many people have heard of the book? Okay, so I, know, I get a sense of what I'm working with here. Well, Robert Highland wrote that book in 1961. It's about a man who was, uh, he was there was an expedition to Mars and, and they, Earth lost contact with it. He was born there and is the sole survivor in the sense of that expedition. And then later they sent a rescue mission to Mars, and they found that this character, uh, this, this man who had been raised on Mars by Martians, and they brought him back home. And it's about the clash of cultures, this man raised in a very different culture, very different way of viewing life and interaction with others, trying to find his way in human civilization. Now what's interesting about this book <clears throat> is how it was used in the 60s. A decade before, Highland had wrote this book called Starship Troopers. How many people have heard of that book? It was made into a movie, which bears almost no resemblance to the book whatsoever. But uh, he was criticized. It was a very popular book, but he was criticized for being a fascist, a militaristic fascist for writing that book. And then he writes this book, and it became sort of a manual for the hippie movement in the 1960s. Now, I don't want to get into the, the, the political baggage associated um, with with the history of that book, but but it points out uh, two things. The book does. First, that the way things are in the culture that we live, it's not the only way to think of things. It's not the only way to live. It's not the only way to view the world. Secondly, it points out that there's something wrong with the way we live our lives. There's something wrong with the way our civilization thinks of life and love and interaction and if you want to live differently than the way the culture thinks of things you're going to be thought of as as strange maybe even threatening when Peter wrote this letter to the early Christians it was not cool to be a Christian and maybe you don't think in our culture it's cool to be a Christian but it's, it's sort of generally accepted lots of people are Christians But it was definitely not a good thing to be a Christian in Peter's day. There was derision, there was rejection, even persecution. Uh, But but it reminds them, Peter reminds them that what drives their lives is not that they should be accepted by the people around them, but the grace and call of God. That's what motivates their lives. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what does that mean for us now, for you and I? If you've heard the voice of God, as Peter said, if you've answered the call of God and and, and you've received that grace, then you need to live according to that grace. Live as God calls you to live, which means you're going to be strangers in a strange land. Live as God has called you to live. Now what exactly does that mean? Well, first it means that we're called to a specific character. We're called to be holy, uh, to be like God who is holy, to be like Christ who is the perfect representation of God's character. That's the topic of, of uh, Peter's, the first chapter in Peter's letter, uh, the, 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 passages, the passages, the verses before uh, the ones that I just read. He says, "'You shall be holy for I am holy.'" Okay, what does that mean? He explains it a little bit further in verses 1 and 11. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles apt to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Now, anybody who comes to speak before a group of people it's it's much easier it's 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 a greater delight to have an aspirational talk and what i mean by that is to say hey look at this great picture of what you could be would don't you want to be successful don't you want to be happy don't you want to be you know uh, experience peace that that don't you want to aspire to those things aspirational messages are are fun to uh, to give and they're fun to listen to you say, yeah i really i want to be more than than what i am It's not so much fun to preach, and it's not so much fun uh, to hear a message which says, stop doing bad things. The thing you're doing right now, stop that. It feels like you're being condemned. It feels like you're being criticized. Do these things, love, that's good, but love means stop doing these other things. Holiness is true is more about do's than it is about don'ts. It's more about positive action than denial of self. But we do have sinful impulses that are not consistent with the character of Christ, that are not consistent with holiness. And they, they have to be addressed and recognized and denied. In fact, love itself is an act of sacrifice. To love someone else means to deny yourself. And this character is strange. The idea that love is not an ex- self expression. <clears throat> We've been talking about this a lot in our culture, haven't we? Love is not an act of self expression, it is an act of self denial. That is not a message that's going to be received very well by our culture. It's strange. And when we live that way, it's implicitly condemning, and people will reject it. When we say, hey, we need to help the needy, people are like, that's great, that's awesome. But when we don't participate in the backstabbing at work and the running of people down, well, that's a little bit weird. I don't know why you're like that. And when we refuse to pad our accounts, our expense accounts the way everybody else is doing, well, that's a little bit threatening. Whoa, are you going to expose me? Christ himself experienced this kind of rejection. Verse 4, you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Jesus was, was rejected, but he was made, as it says here, the cornerstone of God's work. Now, let's talk about a cornerstone. We're building a building right now. We didn't ex- exactly lay a cornerstone, but we, but we poured a foundation. And it's very important to get that first stone or the foundational work set straight. The lines have got to be right. that has got to be level because it sets the lines for everything else in that building. But the world doesn't care for the lines and the level set by Christ. Perhaps they're okay with a vague notion of love, but, but purity, humility, forgiveness, these are not things which help you advance in the world. You want to get ahead in your business? The idea of meekness, the idea of turning the other cheek, the idea of forgiving people when, you know, when they owe you money, uh, this is not a recipe for success. And so Jesus is a stumbling block. Don't like the idea of him being the cornerstone for my building, for the success of my life want to tell a story that Anton told. Uh, he told some of it uh, a few weeks ago, and I, as he was telling it, I thought, oh, no, I, maybe I should change my sermon coming up. But it's a story about a stone, a 17-foot slab of marble, to be uh, precise, that was, that was quarried from a, uh, from a marble quarry in Carrara, Italy uh, during the Renaissance. And uh, the specific reason it was quarried was for a statue of David and the artist that was first commissioned to do it started roughing it out but was so frustrated with it, he abandoned the work. He said there were just too many veins in it. It was, it, w- it was not suitable for any kind of statue whatsoever. And it sat out in, a <clears throat> in, the, in an outdoor storage area for 20 years because it was determined it was worth nothing. Until a young sculptor named Michelangelo was commissioned to try and and do something with it. And he turned it into the defining work of the Renaissance, the statue of David. Things that people reject, these are the things that God uses and says this should define you. And so the question for us is, will you let Christ define you? Will you Will you let the... The angles, the the lines, the levels of his life determine the level of your life. Are you willing to endure the strangeness of really being like Christ? Are you willing to endure the rejection of it? And beyond the strangeness of our character, there's going to be a strangeness to our community as well. Uh, Verse 5, he says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Further, in verse 9, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And Peter's calling us a priesthood, a spiritual house, a nation. And that sounds strange. How are we a house? How are we a race? How are we a nation? When we think about community, what, what are we drawn to? Well, often we're drawn to community because we want to belong. We want to be affirmed for who we are. And I'm not saying that, that affirmation is a bad thing. It, it's an important part of any relationship, uh, but a crass cultural definition of community is that we we come together in a mutual affirmation society. I think you're great. Well, I think you're great too. Affirmation is an aspect of a loving relationship, but the church is not a mutual affirmation society. That's not what we're called to be. We're called to be a priesthood. What does that mean? It means that we're called to uh, to be people who have direct access to God and bring the needs of others to God on their behalf. We're serving. We're a spiritual house, a temple, a place where God takes up residence. Together, that's what we are. Sometimes we talk about our body being the temple of the Holy Spirit, and there's an aspect in which that's true, but mostly the Scriptures are talking about us. As we say in South Carolina, y'all. Y'all are the temple of God together as we come together as a people. God takes residence up in us. It's a blessing to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And the way God works it is that the individual is magnified not by standing out alone, but by being a part of something larger than themselves in service. And I got to tell you, I saw this in spades with Green Tree this past week. I can't go into the details of these stories. I don't have the permission to tell them, but I want to, I want to say I was involved with three different projects this week that I thought, wow, I don't know who want to, who want to be involved with that. And I watched the deacons and various people of the church say, there's someone in need. We don't even know them real well, but we're going to meet that need. And the world looks at that and says, I don't understand that because I wouldn't do that. That's the glory of God being displayed in us. I was watching, uh, many of you know I was a part of Central Presbyterian Church before, before coming here. I was working out of West County, but I was often at the Clayton Campus in Central, uh, had recently added on to um, their, their campus. Uh, some of that uh, building was stonework. Uh, now, each stone kind of has a beauty of its own, um, the look, the feel, the cut of it. But when you assemble all the stones together, it, it makes something really spectacular. And what draws us together, what draws all those stones together is not the individual's stone's desire to be glorified, but the architect bringing them together and saying, I'm calling you to be something more than what you are alone. And what draws us together is not the selfish need for affirmation, but the transforming voice of God, a voice calling us to worship and to live like priests, to serve in the house of God. And so I ask you the question, what is your stone doing in the house of God right now? Are you part of the supporting wall through giving or Uh, working on the setup crew? Are you helping to raise the children of the household through through nursery work and through youth work? Are you keeping up with the renovations and maintenance by leading a Bible study or training a a young believer to be a leader in the church? Or are you just soaking in the affirmation? The gracious voice of God without any transformation. Soaking it in. I want to say there's nothing strange about that at all. That's pretty ordinary. God calls us to be something different. And if we have heard the transforming voice of God, and that's Peter's question earlier in the book, we're going to be changed. You're going to be changed. It's going to give you a new character. It's going to change the nature of your community, but it's also going to give you a new cause, a new purpose. And that purpose, that cause, is going to seem strange as well to the world. Peter tells us that we were made into this priesthood, verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Often we do things because it benefits us. I go to the movies because I have a good time. I'm involved in a certain relationship because it makes me feel good about me. We're called in this priesthood not to affirm ourselves, not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify God. The one who called me from darkness into his marvelous light. He calls on us to give testimony to that fact that he's called us out of darkness. Again, I told you I was a science fiction fan. How many people here have heard of the movie Gravity? Okay? I hope you heard it. It's a fairly recent movie. It kind of won Academy Awards and everything. Gravity has this scene right at the beginning of the the film where the astronauts are working out uh, on, on, a, on the Hubble Space Telescope, and uh, Sandra Bullock's character is out on the robot, robotic arm, and she's kind of tethered to it. And there is just debris from a from a satellite that exploded comes and it hits the shuttle and destroys it, and it it, it knocks the arm loose from the shuttle, and she starts spinning around and she's trying to figure out what's going on. She's hearing voices in her head: "Disengage, disengage from the." From the robot arm, she does, and then all of a sudden, she, then she starts spinning out all alone. And you watch her, gets, in the scene, spin out into open space, and she gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And the voices, the contact she has with other astronauts, the voice starts going away. She's starting to lose contact. And I can feel it. I can feel the sense of panic, the sense of helplessness as she's out there all alone in the dark. And that's where we are. Before we hear the voice of God, that is what we are experiencing. And then we hear the voice of God. And with the voice of God comes not only a comfort, but but the help, the salvation to draw us out of that darkness into his marvelous light. And if you know the experience of helplessness and panic, and then you have relief from that, you know the joy that no one needs to tell you to feel. It just wells up within you. And you want to tell other people, I've been saved. And this is what Peter calls us to share. to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of that darkness. That doesn't mean you have to be an evangelist. There's a special gifting, both natural and spiritual, with that. But but we all contribute to the credibility of this word. How? By living like God's voice really has touched us and changed us. And it's important that we do live it out because people are watching. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The strangeness of your character, your community, it may bother some, but it contributes to the credibility of the testimony that you have. When you go out and you love the world, a world that does not love you, the way God loved you, who were his enemies before he spoke into your darkness. If you love the world in the same way, they will notice. And they will scratch their heads and say, I do not understand this. And they may ask you questions What is going on inside of you that would cause you to love strangers the way you do? It's strange but in the best way possible. Now, again, I I told you, uh, I'm a fan of science fiction. And when I was a kid, being into science fiction and being into comic books was not cool. Knowing who Frodo Baggins was was not cool. But today, it's a billion-dollar business. Uh, Captain America Winter Soldier came out about a year ago came out in April, not in the summer, came out in April of 2014 and it did summer blockbuster business. That's how popular these things are. Ant-Man, the most obscure character in comic books ever, was the number one movie last week. Now those of us who are purists, <laughs> who knew about the glories of things long before they became a popular spectacle... You know, we know who the the real believers are. (laughs) But it does sort of draw out a distinction. What's the depth of your faith? For a long time in America, it's been okay to be a Christian. And we haven't been forced to really distinguish ourselves from a lot of the surrounding culture. I think we're in times where that's not going to be an option anymore. And that's okay because it gives us the opportunity to show the uniqueness, the the differences, the strangeness in the best way possible of the love of Christ. We're going to feel the pinch, but it's going to give us the opportunity to show why being strange is the best thing to be. God calls us out of the darkness of of being cool, of being indistinguishable from the surrounding culture. He calls us out of the darkness of of our own pursuits to, to be accepted by a world lost in its own selfishness and corruption. He wants to make us like Christ. And the question for us all, am I willing to be strange? Not for strangeness sake but to testify to the excellencies of God's grace. Let's pray. Father, thanks again for the chance we've had this morning to think on the call you have given us. We pray that by your Spirit you would give us the wisdom to see the power there is in the Spirit's work in us and the folly of pursuing the ways of the world we pray that we might have the wisdom to distinguish between your ways and the world's ways and at the same time not condemn the world but love the world that they too might know the marvelous light of your kingdom. Father, strengthen our testimony as individuals and as a church that would cause people to ask, what is it work in them that makes them so different? Give us that opportunity, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.